everybody, and welcome to another edition of PTSM Network Classics, Primetime with Sean Mooney Network Classics, as we again do a watch-along with some of our favorite programs from the 80s and 90s. Uh, so many uh, great programs I have now on the WWE Network. Uh, we have done uh, Tuesday Night Titans, which are a lot of fun, that old uh, version of talk shows that they did with Vince and Lord Alfred Hayes playing kind of the Ed McMahon character. Vince doing a very bad edition of Johnny Carson, uh, including the pencil. But it was, you know, entertaining. I mean, that stuff was fun. And it was a time when uh, they were still shooting stuff in, in, um, in Baltimore at Video One that they, uh, that they uh, called that place. Um, the very beginnings of WWE programming uh, there and, and production work done. It was all done in Baltimore before they made the big move to Stanford where they opened up that tremendous television facility. And that is, of course, where they would shoot uh, all kinds of uh, programming for the WWF slash WWE. And I've let you in on all the secrets a little bit at this point. But, of course, I will remind you because some people, you know, maybe just picking up these episodes, they may not have watched the other ones we've done. But you'll see uh, at the beginning of this, we've got uh, Vince McMahon is the uh, main play-by-play host in this. And then they've got Mr. Perfect stepping in. And this is when a time uh, during a time when Mr. Perfect was kind of making that transition from being in the ring to uh, becoming uh, more of a behind-the-scenes guy and out-of-the-ring guy, I should say. You know, he did stuff with uh, Flair and also uh, Bobby Heenan. But, uh, you know, he wasn't bad at, at play-by-play commentary, but I think that his first love was the ring. And, uh, you know, the story goes that he was, uh, at this point in time, uh, trying to figure out an insurance policy settlement with Lloyd's of London, and uh, and he's uh, you know he he wasn't in the the greatest physical condition as far as uh, the injuries that he had amassed over the years, and we have no idea at this point what uh, you know uh, what a toll that um, you know some of the stuff that he was putting into his body w- was taking, but you guys have heard me over and over again say uh, how much. Uh, I love Mr. Perfect. I mean, I love Kurt Hennig. I just thought he was one of the greatest performers ever in uh, the history of professional wrestling. I mean, beyond even the WWE, uh, Kurt was uh, just just tremendous. Everything he did, he was great at cutting promos. He was fantastic at, uh, of course, in the ring. I arrive, you know, I think that uh, him and Bret Bret Hart, when they had matches together, some of the best ever. And uh, you know, people have their their Mount Rushmore. Um, and there are certainly some greats, but they, you know, you could argue for, you know, in many cases, just what they did, for, you know, different personalities did for the WWE. And of course, Hulk Hogan is certainly on there. And of course, Ric Flair. And, uh, you know, the, the, and then from that point, it gets to be debatable, I think. Uh, I think at this point in, in time in history, you'd have to put The Undertaker up there. I don't know how we've gotten out of this uh, Mount Rushmore thing, but. Uh, my point being, though, with Mr. Perfect, he could do it all. And just, uh, God, he was so good in the ring and selling. And his promos were just phenomenal. And I, and also having one of the best gimmicks ever. There's been a few. Uh, Undertaker, certainly. Uh, but the, the gimmick, Mr. Perfect, uh, was just awesome for him. Now, who knows if someone else could have pulled it off. But, you know, you can argue that for the, uh, the other great gimmicks in history. I mean, my, maybe somebody else who had uh, been given the Undertaker uh, role would not have been able to pull it off, and, and the Undertaker may have lasted a year or two. 
uh, with somebody else doing it, and it might have fizzled out. But we, we've seen what uh, Mark Calloway has done with that, and still to this day. And uh, I believe that if uh, Mr. Perfect, now he, I don't think he'd still be in the ring, but <laughs> but uh, his career would have uh, uh, you know gone on. And I think that as far as other things that he would have done in the world of professional wrestling would have certainly stood out because whatever he set out to do, he was successful at. It's just a, a, a damn tragedy that, uh, you know, drugs would take his life because he was just such an incredible talent. So anyway, um, I digress a bit here, but uh, anytime I get a chance to opine on uh, Mr. Perfect and, and just talk about what a, a great personality he was in the world of professional wrestling, I, I seize it, I grab it. So uh, here we are. This is uh, going to be an episode of WWF Superstars from May 2nd, 1992. Uh, May 2nd, 1992, um, this was part of a TV taping. You know, of course, when they would go in and they would do a series of tapings. This taking place at Wings Stadium uh, in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Kalamazoo, Michigan. And as I mentioned, Vince and uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt, are doing the uh, hosting here. And I mentioned Stanford because, again, you'll see at the beginning of this where they shoot the on-cameras. And uh, that, uh, you know, of course, took place at uh, the TV studio in Stanford. I've talked about, you know, they had that big giant, we had that, um, that uh, studio in, in Stanford. It was giga- a gigantic room and they had this huge psych, you know, they called it, uh, you know, it was just this big giant wall that was green. And so we could shoot all kinds of things on there and make it look, uh, you know, just huge, vast. And they would do these shots at these arenas, uh, hopefully to a full house, which they did most of the time or they'd make it look that way, and they would do these sweeping crane shots and then come down, and the crowd would be cheering, and then uh, they would be able to have Vince and whoever was the co-host, if it was uh, Jesse or, in this case, Mr. Perfect, they would be in front of the screen with a huge cheering crowd behind them, and they would do the intro to the show. Uh, What you should luck out for, and when you do see some of these shows such as... uh, you know, something like they did at uh, the Manhattan Center with uh, Monday Night Raw. If you hear the crowd reacting to them, because they would, of course, have the mics, you know, open to the house, then you would know that they were doing this live, which was kind of rare. And, uh, but when you'll see here in this one, they are obviously in front of that screen because it's just kind of a general crowd noise behind them. Uh, that wasn't uh, open to the house. But you'd see sometimes when they would do Raw, when they would do those live to tape, as we call them, or even you know the, the occasion that they would do them live, you'd hear the, the crowd reacting when they'd announce somebody's name and, and they're a little open or whatever. They would be booing or cheering or whatever. And uh, this is just one of those uh, you know those generic opens where the, that they would shoot back at uh, Stanford, and then they would also do the play-by-play uh, at, the, uh, at the studios. And this way... Uh, they would know how the show was going to be laid out because it would be edited when uh, when they would step into the booth and uh, they would know what they wanted to plug or what was upcoming or if something happened in between that time, somebody got hurt and they'd be able to edit them out. This is where they were able to control, you know, the programming because as I've said before, you know, all of this was uh, with a purpose. That whole, um, you know, program. I mean, Superstars, WWF Superstars was a promotional tool, as was Wrestling Challenge. So this was a very, very uh, crafted programming that uh, that they would, you know, basically be selling throughout the entire 
uh, show. And uh, they would throw in some matches that would be somewhat of a draw. You know, it would be something that, let's say, they're going out to, you know, they're going to be going out on the road and facing one another, and they had some big uh, uh, angle going on. They might uh, bring those two, uh, whoever those personalities were, and they wouldn't have maybe a full blown-out match, but they'd have them interact somehow on the show. And, uh, you know, there was, there was uh, you know, like a matchup in this one. They had, um, you know, they brought, uh, they had Money, Inc. Uh, out there. They had, uh, you know, Randy Savage was on this show. But rarely would you see, um, you know, a, a big superstar collision. Now, in this one, they did, but it wasn't necessarily to, um, you know, say that these two guys were going to go at it. But they had Skinner and the Ultimate Warrior. In the featured match, they'd have a featured matchup uh, on superstars, you know, so that, um, you know, they would have something that people would really want to tune in. It wasn't just going to be squash matches as people had gotten used to. But since, you know, they had Monday Night Raw, um, they kind of realized, you know, that they they were going to have to deliver more. Saturday Night's main event had been out there and people kind of had gotten somewhat used to the, seeing, you know, actual superstars go at it uh, during these these shows, so this featured matchup was with Skinner and the Ultimate Warrior, which you'll see in this. But the whole point of it was they had uh, Sid Justice will be in the crowd, and, and they're really trying to uh, build up this impending uh, matchup between Sid Justice and the Ultimate Warrior, even though it would never really happen because uh, Sid was very volatile, as he, uh, in many occasions, would just decide that he'd had enough, and he'd basically walk away. Uh, he had a lot of leverage because he was one of those people that was willing to do that, and he was a big draw. He made the WWF uh, at the time uh, a lot of money. So he would be able to play Vince and to the point where they would really you know, acquiesce. They would cave into his demands and give him the kind of money that he wanted or do something that he wanted them to do because they needed him at the time. So you're going to see that uh, coming up, but uh, just backtracking a little bit, to get you know a bit of an overview here uh macho man randy savage has begun his new reign as the wwe champion and uh he's going to uh, you know address rick flair who's out there and of course wants that belt uh once again we have the warrior as i just mentioned in singles action and then uh, papa shango is in this match and and i remember when when papa shango came in and uh he was scary. Yeah, I mean, he would literally frighten children. They were just scared to death of the guy. And they did these, you know, it's like a lot of these voodoo uh, vignettes and stuff that, that really, you know, we, we were uh, playing very much to a family audience back then. It was very family friendly. So uh, for a lot of kids, he was, he was a bit much to take. Uh, Tatanka is uh, also involved in the, this show. We, we see an appearance by Tatanka and... Uh, we see the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Rick Martell uh, encounter that they've got going on. We'll see what's going on with that. Big Boss Man is there. And then this uh, new uh, tag team they put together uh, called High Energy. Oy. And this is, uh, you know, Coco Beware teaming up with Owen Hart. And uh, God, God love them. I love both of them. But uh, this was, I think, even for both of them, it was a little much. Um, very, very colorful. The, the, the outfits that they wore and uh, <laughs> you'll see what I'm talking about. But 
you know, uh, they're both very skilled professional wrestlers. Uh, they were big, big superstars in a sense that, uh, you know, uh, Coco may have never been really, uh, you know, super main event material, but man, the guy was very dependable and very good at what he did. And they just would put him in, in ridiculous situations. And I, I don't think that, although that uh, from what I know that the two of them got along very well, uh, it wasn't something that uh, Owen was particularly happy about, but he just wanted to be out there and, and get put over. So, you know, you're going to basically do whatever they ask. Um, his success would, would come later. But this is, uh, this is a good episode of, of Superstars. Uh, you're also going to see uh, Main Gene Okerlund, Mean Gene Okerlund in a WWF update, which I always love because it's just classic Gene. He was the best at doing this stuff and, and, and uh, a true salesman. And, uh, you know, he's going to uh, talk about this, this uh, you know, encounter when uh, we, we actually did this episode where Berserker nearly uh, harpoons the Undertaker with that big sword. He actually stabs it into the canvas. And uh, so they're, they're still working this angle here with those two. And uh, so that's, that's coming up in there. And a few event centers, you know, you're going to see. But uh, anyway, I hope that uh, to this point that you have actually gotten a chance to get tuned up to this match as we uh, prepare for it. Now, you need to go to the WWE Network if you haven't done so already. And then you go to that uh, featured section and then scroll down, uh, you know, hit the arrow on the right side of the screen and just keep uh, scrolling across until superstars comes up and then you, um, you know, go there and usually, you know, we'll have you uh, go to something uh, where it's, uh, you know, you can pull up the year, but you don't really have to here because it was 92 is the only year they had up. So if you go near the bottom there, you're going to find uh, this ep episode of, uh, you know, May 2nd, 1992 and uh, get it all queued up. Let it let the uh, let it get buffered or whatever we call it, so that uh, they won't keep stopping on you. And then we'll do a countdown. But uh, meantime, I'm going to let you get a quick little pause here, so you get it queued up. And then we're going to do the old uh, three, two, one play. And then we're going to go through this episode. But uh, it's it's a it's a fun one. And I always love doing the superstars because, uh, you know, you got a chance to see these guys and you really got to see how the machine works with the uh, WWF at the time and how they would promote these shows. And, and remember, as I've said many times, the name of the game at this point was house shows. That's where they made the money. That's how they paid the boys. And uh, they used these to build up the pay-per-views, even though we didn't have a whole lot of them then. Uh, this is how they did it. And uh, we're going to see this episode of WWF Superstars. So let's take a quick pause right now. And when we come back, uh, we'll watch it. Okay, so pause. All righty. I am assuming at this point you are all ready to go. I know I am ready. I uh, got a chance to kind of preview this one a little bit. But... Uh, I hope you're ready to watch this episode, WWF Superstars, May 2nd, 1992. Before we get there, I do want to credit blogofdoom.com, blogofdoom.com for their notes on this episode. And folks, man, they, they just, they've got it all here. If you ever want to find out uh, what happened in these different episodes and a little more background uh, on, on what uh, went on with them, uh, check out blogofdoom.com. All right. Are you set? Because here we go. 
And uh, like I said, I want you to, um, uh, you know, count me down, count down with me and we'll go. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, play. And there we go with that fantastic animation. And of course, we've got to start with the Hulkster. And look at all these guys. So Justice, there's Papa Shango. There's, yeah, you see them all. Undertaker, Bret Hart, Quick Cuts, Typhoon. Even Hacksaw got in there. British Bulldog. There's Owen with those that colorful outfit. Brian Knobs. So, oh, by the way, I heard from uh, Brian over Thanksgiving, uh, and he says he's doing better. As you know, that he had an issue with that infection in his knee, and he says it's getting better slowly but surely. As we here we go. There's that big giant. Remember, here we go. Now, and Mr. Perfect totally selling it like he's selling to the crowd. There you go. And see how they would even blur the background so it looked like it was, uh, you know, that in-depth lens. They would actually shoot the crowd so it was a little bit blurred so it would look like this. But they ain't there. They ain't there. And I mean, you know, they may have been at the, the event, but they were not doing the opens here that uh, they were doing the, the uh, opens of this or the play-by-play. Now, you know, you remember, you've seen a couple of these. They were very scripted, uh, full of puns, and, of course, uh, only Mr. Perfect could pull it off. As Vince announces this card, that's uh, the featured matchup, Skinner taking on the Ultimate Warrior. And uh, it's not going to be much of a match, folks. And uh, I don't know, I guess at this point they were winding down their time with Skinner because they're using him just... uh, so that the Ultimate Warrior can squash somebody they'd heard of. And there he is, the big boss man, Bubba, making his way out. Great worker, man. The guy really could move for the size that he was. Big boss man was something else as he comes out here. And, uh, you know, folks loved him. And man, he could deliver it in the ring. He was uh, he was one intense guy when he got going. I was gonna, you know, I was was wondering like, like how he uh, was able to, you know, that that outfit, uh, be able to do what he did, wearing that the whole time. As he uh, takes on uh, Mark Roberts here, and this isn't gonna go on for too long, as he. Drills that elbow right into the chest of Chris Roberts. Down he goes. And a, a, a quick promo here. As Big Boss Man talking about nails. And, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a great angle there. Too bad <laughs> nails didn't stick around in the WWF for long. But I, I love that character, man. And what they used to do with his voice. As Boss Man goes into the ropes. Big legs over the shoulder there. Drops down. Pulls up a little short on that punch. As he gets up onto uh, the apron. 
but you know, I mean, just look at how agile uh, that that uh, the boss man was. He really, the guy could move. And this this is what these matches were all about, man. They'd have these guys go out there and just uh, destroy these guys. But so far, you know, boss man taking it pretty easy on this guy. But uh, like I said, these didn't last long. We'll send him into the ropes. Big body slam. Doesn't even have to put a finger on him. It's over. And uh, the big boss man, you know, they they plan these out while they put these guys in the show. If they had them work at a big angle, you you were going to see them. Boss man, uh, you know, working this deal with uh, wrestling buddies. Oh, big fan. Wrestling buddies. God, I had a bunch of those. I have no idea what what I had, what I did with them, but boy, I should have held on to them. As he would uh, handcuff his beaten opponents to the rope. Yep. Big slam, and uh, they uh, show the replay here. Oh, that's a big right. Connects to the chin. Takes the guy right off his feet. So what do you say we visit with Mean Gene Okerlund? Yeah. Wow, where do you get that tie? Looks like a florist shop. I stole that from Gene. I'm sure he would have said something like that. And, of course, we cannot uh, skip our opportunity here to plug the WBF. Oh, man, I was there, too. That's an episode we still have to... uh, pull off i want to get uh, gary stridham I, as uh we we had a little bit of contact with him and uh we're looking forward to uh, eventually getting him because i i bet he's got a great story to tell there's a lot behind the scenes that i never knew about and uh i think he would be awesome so we're still working on that we got to follow up on it more i know we kind of dropped the ball on it but i want to hear more about wbf i hope that uh you'll enjoy hearing that too and the berserker. Ho, ho, ho. Right? As he uses that big shield to drill. Hoof, hoof. This is great. Neither one of them could talk. <laughs> yeah, that's the sword, remember? Are they going to show that? They're probably going to show now. The big... Uh, angle here is the fact that he almost impaled the undertaker on a match that they had uh, before and actually sticks it into the the canvas in the ring so you know the timing had to be good there otherwise that uh, could have been uh, a disaster gene oh god he was so good Uh, okay, okay, we're going to see it. Yeah, remember I told you? Okay. Slaps that sword onto the back of the Undertaker and then comes around. And moves out of the way as he sticks that thing right into the canvas, okay? So, uh, sure. Knew it was coming, but, you know, that's a little interesting. I mean, the timing could have been bad. Big clothesline. The Undertaker goes over the top rope, and, you know, he was so tall, he could just stand right up. 
as he goes after Mr. Fuji and the Berserker. You can't uh, turn your back on that wild man. The Undertaker, man, uh, really very, very popular at this point. As the Berserker begins to try and destroy the place anyway. Oh. Now this, uh, you got to be careful with this one, right? That's cement. And, uh, you know, one one false move there, and you've got a guy who's unconscious for sure and uh, seriously hurt and concussed. And that, that happened a few times. Uh, if you guys recall that match with Jake the Snake Roberts and Ricky Steamboat, when he didn't get his arm up in time and knocked him out cold. I think that was at Madison Square Garden. People will correct me if I'm wrong on that, but uh, it was, uh, that was, if you watch it, man, it is just, uh, it's tough to watch. And, and he puts him like in the ring. He is just unconscious. And uh, as if Paul Bear needed to have makeup on to make him look pale was, uh, <laughs> Undertaker. Well, what'd you expect, right? Uh, so intense. Yeah. Made black. <laughs> so good. So good. Love those promos with him. Paul Bear was great too, man. They would they there's a pair, man, it was great. Red Tyler. What do they call him Red? Uh, I don't know. Uh, there's Papa Shango. Remember I mentioned he, and now look at, I, I wonder if they'll show any shots of these kids in the crowd. I mean, they, he, really, he scared the living crap there. Look at this kid. It's like, what the hell? But I saw when he would be places, you know, if we were doing uh, promotions and stuff, and man, kids were, were scared to death to go near the guy. They just, they, they just, <laughs> and they had that thing burning. They put uh, some kind of, I don't know, an incense thing it was just yeah so it was uh it was a good gimmick yeah so he'd come out yeah people aren't happy about that but uh these kids are definitely scared out of their minds and you know uh this is when and i've talked about this uh, before that uh, these these characters were, were really rich. They, they were deep. That they would go out. It was almost to the point of, uh, you know, a, a cartoon character. But it wasn't where it was too much. Uh, I mean, it was what people expected, and it really allowed people to identify with them, really identify with them. And, and they lived it. These guys lived it. It was Everything, you know, for example, with Randy Savage, with uh, what, what he, you know, his outfits and everything, and he wore those when he would travel. I mean, he would basically not be, you know, as, as flamboyant, but uh, he would have the, you know, tights, basically, the cowboy boots. And, and these guys, uh, really, they, you, they really uh, developed those characters and lived them. And like you, they were very unique each one different than the next, and, and Papa Shango was one of them. I mean, it was... question is, he sends a red Tyler into the corner, and 
you know, a couple of good rights there, but then he just gets destroyed. <laughs> you know, takes him, and and this won't be long. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that move was. It was supposed to be a clothesline, or, but had its effect on Tyler. He's still down. And they would, uh, they have you noticed that they would continue to go to cuts in the crowd as uh, our, the notes here mentioned that, the, and I was talking about it, that they just want, you know, the crowd reaction. They didn't have to set these things up. People were definitely intrigued and, and, and kids legitimately frightened of him. He drops a leg there on the chest of Red Tyler. And uh, getting him set up here. And, you, you know, uh, Papa Shango with some strength there. Oh, shoulder breaker right into the leg. And here's a cover. And once again, quick work made of the jobber. And we don't have to, I hope, get into the discussion about jobbers and enhancement talent. You know my feelings. But it was, uh, you know, a, a, a legit gimmick going here with Papa Shango. And it was, it went over well. And it did. So, and you hear... Uh, Kurt Hennig talking about uh, you know how scary he is, but it was it was good. I re- I really liked that one. I really did. He was. Uh... There we go. We're gonna go to the event center, and this is the generic ones. Remember, and this is a there's a a new look. Remember uh, all the time that we would have the. God, what do I got like a Dutch boy cut here? What the hell's going on with my hair? But uh, this is kind of a new look because remember it was always the monitors. I would have the monitors in the control room, but I have to like that better. I just thought it would, uh, that it uh, worked better. But they were always trying to update it and make things look different and new. So that was one of the uh, one of the things that they added. And you'll see when we come out of this, you know, what when they have that monitor behind me, as, uh, the Matador, Tito Santana, goes on here with one of his promos. But they they continue to step up the production value. Now, you see they did with these. Everybody had their backgrounds, those green backgrounds, and they would always they would continue to update those. They didn't just have one. You know, they were always trying to, uh, you know, make them different. And they did. You know, that was, I've always said, man, Vince always was, had the, the, was on the edge of whatever production was out there uh, they would have. Now, see that monitor behind me. Now, when it was generic, they would just put the logo in there, right? But if it was an event, which we didn't really have the ability to do before with that uh, green screen back behind me because it was just, you know, a shot where they would have uh, the, just the monitors, and that was on tape. It was just a tape loop. Well, this, they could actually put the event, so you would see it on the screen in that monitor. So if it was at Madison Square Garden, it would have Madison Square Garden, whatever the date was and the day, so that not only could you hear me telling you about it, you could see it visually there, kind of burn that into their brains. And uh, Sid Justice is, uh, as we talked about, that uh, we've got 
a brewing encounter. Just blowing out the microphones there. Yeah. Mr. Intense. Yeah, okay. So, El Cid, man. Well, Mooney, did you think up that one all night? All right. All right, Mooney. That's so creative. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, that was the New Look Event Center. I hadn't uh, seen that in one's week. I don't remember exactly when they implemented that, but now you understand the reasoning behind it. They wanted to upgrade the look, and they also uh, wanted to be able to put the event up there so they could just switch it, and that was a generic, which you know what that is because uh, that was one that they would put in there when we didn't have an event in that city. I would just do a generic one that would just uh, promote the talent or whatever upcoming angle they're trying to work with them. They would do that. So, oh boy, Brian Costello. Gee, wonder who's going to win this match. Uh, got Tatanka. And uh, we had him on the podcast and a great, great interview with him, a great conversation. But he really, he took all this very seriously. It was very important to him to not uh, turn his character into a cartoon. Uh, Because although, I mean, you look at him, he's got the red hair and stuff. But as far as, you know, what uh, he did, it was important to him to keep the dignity of, of his his uh, heritage. I mean, that was important to him. Like those that, uh, you know, authentic eagle feathers, uh, whatever the feathers that he had were, you know, uh, descendant from his fa- his grandfather. And uh, so, and, and if you remember from our conversation, you know, he talked about how important that was and he was proud of what he was able to do. He felt that he did help make a difference and uh, spread the, the word of his heritage to others who may have never been exposed to it or ever thought about it. And he would go, um, you know, to places and, you know, speak to people and uh, went to all these different events and was honored by many Native American groups for what he did. As he continues to destroy Costello here with the shamrock on the... uh, Trunks there, brings him in with the big suplex there, over the ropes. And then we got the the model, Rick Martell. Hey, Rick Martell, we really want to have you on the podcast. Yes, we do, sir. We do. Yeah. No, please. Why? No, don't keep saying no. Oh, man. Couldn't get away with that these days. Telling him he's smelly. And that, uh, if you remember, was the whole deal with the model. He had that uh, cologne that it was in like a bug sprayer, which didn't make a whole lot of sense. But I guess it made it much easier for him to spray it into the eyes of his opponents. Slams him uh, there, and there's the hooks, the leg, and that's it for Costello. And he would do the dance. Now, you know, uh, like I said, there's there's the the debate there whether or not they felt that he was uh, being was being mocked 
or Vince was having him do this. But like I said, he took it completely different to him. It was a way to, uh, you know, bring awareness to people all over the world, really, about his heritage, that uh, something he was really very, very proud of. Now, I mentioned this before, what they would do on, say, Superstars or whatever. They wouldn't have these guys, if they had an angle going, you know, out there uh, in these house shows, that they would bring uh, the Superstars together uh, and during, super, during Superstars or, or Wrestling Challenge but only to push that angle further. They wouldn't actually have a match or have any kind of uh, outcome to it. As we're seeing here, uh, Tatanka and the model were working together. And so he comes in. Uh, he's got the, the cologne that he's spraying because he's uh, you know a model. He knows these things. And So we'll have uh, a little business here coming up. As Tatanka comes up behind him. Shove and over he goes off the edge and oh boy, uh, Mr. Perfect being politically incorrect, <laughs> which you got away with a lot more back then. And uh, as we can c- continue the the jabber here between these guys, as Martel continues to taunt Tatanka, taunting Tatanka. Say that fast. So, uh, well, we can actually hear it because we had these microphones. This was something else that they were doing. You had to be careful with those microphones because you didn't. You had to be careful that you wouldn't hear these guys calling spots. And uh, remember that I, I actually have one of those pins somewhere. Yes, I am a model. <laughs> Oh, and gets sprayed right in the eyes. And, uh, you know, obviously just awful to be blinded that way. Oh, he is such a dastardly. Oh, and he's going to keep doing it. As perfect says, yeah, <laughs> just just trying to help him out. He wasn't trying to spray him in the eyes. No, of course not. And then, of course, we have to have the officials come out and break it all up. Wouldn't Rick Martell make a great guest on primetime with Sean Mooney? So if anybody uh, has a way to get in touch with Rick, please let him know. We'd love to have him on primetime. Oh, boy, this is the uh, ultimate insult here, spraying the these feathers that are very sacred to Tatanka's people. Oh. Oh, is he going to take them? Huh? Oh, he just started a new style. Huh? Oh, so he's taking... The feathers. Adding to the tension between these superstars. As we have the slow walk back. Milking every second. Can't see, he's blinded. I can't see! 
No, see, of course I knew what was going on. Oh, yeah, remember that? In the New Look Event Center. I think I still have that tie. And I I was mentioning here how uh, Virgil had his nose broken by Sid Justice. So I think this is pretty general. I don't think they had anything really going As, uh, you know, Virgil was, uh, you know, the guy that, uh, as you've heard the stories, was basically a uh, pea supplier who helped a lot of these guys beat these tests. Uh, at least that's what they say. But uh, he didn't do any of that. I mean, that which, look at him. I mean, that guy uh, spent a lot of time in the gym. And if that was all natural, man, he had to work his ass off. And as we... Uh, Continue with this generic event center. As I said, that that uh, you know the vast majority of these I did were for specific markets, and uh, this is when Sherry was with Sean HBK, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you think about all the different people that Sherry worked with, and you know, she would also work with Ted DiBiase. And, uh, you know, a bunch of other angles. Uh, She is one of those people. She is one of the women that uh, actually helped pave the way for the divas because uh, prior to the different stuff that she got involved in, you know, the women were just brought in occasionally, for one thing. And uh, they didn't usually hang around for very long. And she really crossed the line where she could, you know, dish out as much as she got. And she took some horrific bumps. So uh, just amazing, sensational Sherry. I can never uh, end uh, my number of praises for her because I don't think she ever got the full credit that she deserved. And a lot of those women out there who have uh, gone on to great success in the world of professional wrestling owe her uh, for what she did. And uh, there we're going to Tatanka's having a major issue here. Trying to uh, get trying to get these drops into his eyes because uh, after that attack by Rick Martel with the cologne, and uh, <laughs> oh boy, Mister Perfect, and now Money Inc comes out, led by the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, and we've talked about how you know Randy had outfits made for pretty much every occasion. Uh, he would sometimes change three or four times during a night, depending what he was working on. But Jimmy was the same way. I mean, Jimmy would do, you know, maybe mostly jackets, but he had a, you know, whoever he was working with, he had a different, uh, you know, different jacket to wear uh, for each of them. And you saw that one. Look at that. I mean, that's pretty elaborate That uh, for uh, Money, Inc., and this teaming of uh, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and IRS, Mike Rotundo. Yeah, it was easy to get heat over money, right? Just This is an easy one to get over. Because everybody hated the tax man. 
That's been uh, well documented throughout history, <laughs> centuries worth. But I was like, I like to you know, like, what was the idea with the you know the the short sleeves? I guess so he could move and actually work. And the suspenders was uh, was brilliant, and the briefcase. And this is, uh, you know, of course, these two going to make quick work of this uh, ill-fated tag team that had the great misfortune to have to get into the ring with them. That's Ron Cumberledge and Chris Hahn. Spoonheads. They loaded it up on this one. Uh, both Ted and... Uh, and Mike could certainly talk, and then you add that with Jimmy, it just uh, raised raises that raised that intensity level. And we're going to get the same return here with the boot to the face. Up goes IRS, drives that right fist into the face. Oh, big kick to the midsection. That's a legal tag. Not how legal that is, but you know. Off you go, into the ring, into the ropes. And a big power slam by the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. But the torture isn't over yet. As IRS checks back in. And that was kind of like a shoulder block uh, clothesline. And that's enough. And once again, this is one of those matchups where you bring the guys out. Just uh, remind everybody who they are. The tag team champions at the time, right? And uh, no, uh, we don't want to miss an opportunity to plug Coliseum Home Video. So this is, we get it all in here, don't we? And uh, they bring this back. This is when uh, Mr. Perfect, as Ric Flair gets a little, little juice, goes for the big, big kiss there, and then uh, boy, Elizabeth goes after him, and then Randy. How much of a shoot is that? <laughs> I think he, I think he pulled all those. Pulls the trunks. And Randy Savage comes the world champion. And there it goes, man. Uh, look at the, uh, the macho man, Randy Savage. This is when the, the cowboy hats were in. And he carried it well, man. He carried it well for uh, a while there. And listen to that crowd. I mean, that's that's legit, man. That's legit pop. Macho Man Randy Savage. Two legends on that stage right there. Mean Gene. And this is a house interview. And I always tell you guys, when you can hear the crowd reacting, and you can hear it, it's, it's to the house, but... That's how you know uh, this this actually happened there. (laughs) 
got to be ribbing me. <laughs> yeah, the Macho Man Randy Savage, man. That style all his own that was just so gr- so awesome, so intense. And all his own, all his own. Oh, boy. Gene's just asking the questions he's got to ask. The Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, boy. See? You want to get the, uh, the the macho man fired up just to touch his woman. And, boy, Ric Flair went way too far planting those lips on the lovely Miss Elizabeth. So he's, he's not – he just didn't uh, – that wasn't enough to take his belt, man. He's not done. This is uh, This is still alive and well. So he's telling him, you think that was bad? Wait till you see. Wait till you see what else is coming. <laughs> but look at this. I mean, he's got the whole thing going. He's got the hands wrapped. Yeah. And look at Gene. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's got, he's, he's fired up. Yeah, I got, always watch those uh, reactions. Uh, I know you guys all appreciate Gene, but uh, you just, you, you look at the stuff that I, I noticed, uh, I noticed, and and did then and would watch. It's just his reaction. He didn't have to say anything, you know, for it, for uh, him to you know to sell it. And that's what a great stick man did. You didn't oversell it. You didn't make it about you. You just you were, it was all about putting them over. And here's another tremendous vignette. This is a, a junkyard uh, outside of Stanford. Yeah. And I I never quite understood what the hell they were doing with these. They were just so out there. Uh, As we look back, and this really looks like, what was that? (laughs) I don't know what that. We got to roll that back. What the hell? Yeah, he's not hitting home runs. Uh, He's 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 taking people one down one at a time. He's yeah. Okay. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I don't think that ever, that ever got over. They just weren't good. All right. You got Tom Bennett and Dwayne Gill. I used to see that guy. I remember Dwayne Gill. He would, uh, you'd see him around and out comes this new tag team of, uh, the Birdman, Coco Beware and Owen Hart. High energy. Uh, they certainly had a lot of that, but. It's just wow. Look at this. Uh, it's like part genie, part uh, cab, <laughs> checker cab. Uh, I mean, where was this? Where did this come from? And there's Frankie. Oh, man. Love seeing Frankie. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, you guys, it's one of the best uh, uh, with, with Coco. Uh, and he was one of my favorite people. I actually. Uh, Considered him a friend when I was there. He was always uh, great to me, and uh, we had a lot of great conversations. Uh, but in that episode, he talks about Frankie when he first got him. Now, he didn't know the first damn thing about a bird, and he's the one who sold it to Vince. He sold it to Vince about doing that, you know, that uh, he wanted to have uh, a bird, 
that his uh, wife uh, had said, you know, you should do that. It'll really get you noticed. And so he pitched it to Vince and it's like, yeah, sure. Well, he had no idea what the hell, uh, how you handled them or anything. And he tells a story of how, when he first got Frankie, that, uh, the bird was pretty nasty and he had no control over him. And, uh, Talks about how he went, well, Gil got there a little early, but uh, catapults Gil across the ring. But uh, he, he talks about like taking the bird out for the first time, one of the first times to ringside, and how Frankie just bit the living crap out of his fingers all the way down, just kept biting him. And he like actually had, like, you know, had to smack the bird to make him stop. And after that, he went to a pet shop and just said, does anybody, can you give me any tips on how to control this bird? And the guy who happened to uh, be there, I don't even think it was anybody who worked. I think it was somebody who was there and just said, you know, you got to get a stick and you got to do this and work with them. And he did that. I mean, he literally had to figure out how to handle a bird with having no experience whatsoever. And eventually, uh, Frankie wised up because uh, he was going to be punished if he didn't, uh, you know, he'd uh, not get something to eat or whatever. I don't know how they did it, but they formed a relationship that worked. <laughs> a big power slam. And they're not done yet. I'm slamming into each other. And down they go. Both going up to the top rope. Big flying drop kicks off the top rope from each of them. And Coco basically dancing on top of this guy. Jeez. And, and you know, Coco was awesome. But, man, uh, he, he realized what you were supposed to do out there. And he would freaking destroy jobbers. Uh, just destroy them. And that was part of the territory, you know. As that Gill, I think, went flying into Owen there. But it was kind of a ridiculous look, though. I, I, I'm sure I know that Owen wasn't really happy with that outfit. But then it had to be an improvement from the... Oh, here we go. Oh, I did this VO. Cameo, what was her name? Vince liked her. Oh, boy. Oh, my, as Vincene would say. Uh, we've got to do that episode. I gotta get Gary Stride. I'm making a note of that right now. And there is Skinner, and they would oh god, just want him to be as disgusting as possible with the chewing tobacco. Uh yeah. Pretty nasty. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. And out comes the ultimate warrior. And people would go nuts. So you see all the people just running to try and get to the the barrier there just to see it. I mean, really, it was it was unbelievable when that guy would enter an arena. Regardless of what you say of how he performed in the ring or as a professional wrestler, but my God, all he had to do was uh hit the all he had to do was hit that music and have him run out and shake those ropes and the place the roof would blow off the place and i saw it many 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 times just just incredible and he looked great here as usual but he uh he was something else and skinner 
Oh, well, kind of made that mistake already. Body slams, series of body slams. Uh, yeah, this might uh, not last long. What do you think? Sends him flying off his feet into the corner and all the way to the other side. And as, <laughs> yeah, if you were in the front row there, you probably weren't real pleased to get spit on by uh, Skinner with all that nasty juice. Warrior, not known to be the gentlest in the ring, as I'm sure Skinner was discovering once again. Sends him over the second rope as he wears some of that juice. Oh, boy, he spit right in his neck. So he probably wasn't happy about that anyway. So clothesline, down goes Skinner to the mat outside of the ring. He's got to extend this torture a little bit more. Skinner just uh, totally out of it. He's got no shot here. And takes him into the ropes. Another clothesline. Man, that was stiff. You know, you're supposed to lay it across the pecs, Jim. Uh, But, man, that uh, about took his head off. And he was notorious for that. Flying shoulder block. Down goes Skinner. There's... The slam. Quick work. I mean, if you notice, Skinner uh, did not. Oh, 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 yeah. Smears the tobacco juice all over his face and humiliates him. And as I was going to say, as you notice, he didn't amount, uh, mount one ounce of offense there. So at this point, they're pretty much they're squashing Skinner. But you couldn't just send him out there with, you know, uh, that guy uh, Gill or one of the other jobbers out there. He had, it had to have some substance to it. So I would check to find out, you know, what we were coming out of so I could actually react to it. And, uh, I, you know, I think it added to, to the 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 flow of the show I'll say you know it, it gave it a I'm not saying it was you know brilliant or anything like that but it but it it, it added to uh, how the show was pieced together and it like it was a live show and they threw to the event center and it was actually I was actually watching what was going on well that of course was certainly not the case by any stretch because uh, I was shooting these things during the week uh, it could have been two weeks after that taping. But I would take the time to find out and have notes on what those matches were so that when they came out of the event center, I knew exactly what it was and I could react to it. So it's another little inside. But I would do that every week when I would do the event center. Beverly Brothers with Genius. So they were talking about uh, uh, them taking on LOD. And always uh, great to plug Sergeant there. Always one of my favorites. You know that. We had him on. I think that podcast is about three hours long. <laughs> but we had a lot to chat about. And Sarge really knew how to uh, lay down a promo. One of the best. 
So uh, he's just kind of throwing things out because they may be facing, you know, when they were doing house shows, they might be, you know, taking on two or three different guys, depending what city they were in. So they would throw everybody in there, you know, sometimes. Yeah, see, like Sid Justice, Ric Flair, anybody. So no matter who he might end up being uh, matched up with, they had it covered, you know. Oh, battle scarred. That's good, Mooney. Pulled that out of the attic, right? So these had to be timed out perfectly. Remember, these holes were all the same amount. You had to hit it, so uh, the timing was perfect on them. And uh, I would know exactly how long I could go. They would give a little, you know, a few seconds here, though, but you had to pretty much hit it. And we're talking about next week. See, we just uh, saw Sergeant Slaughter. So they're going to have uh, Slaughter versus Flair the following week as the featured matchup. And so if you would have been watching a different event center, you wouldn't have seen Sergeant Slaughter. But because it was a generic, you did. But uh, most places didn't. That was, like I said, the generic got plugged in when it wasn't an event. there wasn't an event going on in some city, and we were pretty much everywhere at the time. But uh, he comes back here in the show, which I'm sure nobody minded, and talked about his encounter with none other than Ric Flair. And Mr. Perfect, of course, uh, teamed up here as, uh, what is it, advisor, I think they call him, uh, for Flair. Look at, he's got a little uh, scar from uh, last encounter for Juice up on the top of the forehead there. Yeah, remember when that happened. Woo! Yeah. All right. Mr. Perfect. Yep, Mr. Perfect's got to get his own woo in there. All right, copyright 1992, Titan Sports Inc. See that there? Before World Wrestling Entertainment. All righty. That was fun. I always love uh, watching the superstars, and, and especially since it's been so darn long. Uh, but uh, again, I want to thank uh, blogofdoom.com for uh, those notes that they have in there. And uh, you know, check them out if you're ever looking to find out about these episodes. They've got just about everything you could possibly imagine. And uh, you know, they really are uh, good, good notes to uh, be able, when you watch these things, to give you a little background on what, what was happening at the time. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Wasn't that fun? As I uh, talked about the event center and, you know, it was really quite a machine that they had back then. It's, it's, it's amazing to think about because, you know, at the time it wasn't a real big company. I've, I've told you guys this, that we were all uh, based in Stanford, uh, the, the bulk of uh, the group. Uh, Gene lived down in Florida. Uh, you know, uh, Gino uh, Grilla was down. You know, lived down just outside of Philadelphia. He used to come up every uh, three weeks to do the voiceovers in prime time with Bobby. And Bobby, of course, lived in Florida too. He would come in. But the rest of us, you know, we all lived in Stanford. Alfred and uh, you know Kevin Dunn, who was uh, running uh, the wasn't running the production facility, but he was the you know, the main creative guy, would uh, he was a producer, but he would move up, as we have seen, and to do great things for the WWE. But uh, it was a small staff, really. The production team, they had, you know, it was Kevin, and then uh, Mike Grossman, who was an editor, a couple other guys would be in there. Larry Rosen was the audio guy. We had one audio person. 
that would do all of that. And uh, Russ Bacon ran the TV studio, uh, you know, and uh, it was just, uh, it was a small crew. And uh, Jill, who did makeup there, she she's still with the WWE. But I, I bring that up just to tell you that we were, it was kind of this tight-knit family. And we would see each other in town, and Vince and Linda would be out. And uh, when we had events, everybody would, you know, either uh, Pat Patterson had a house there, you know, and um, he would have gatherings all the time uh, with his partner, Louie. And uh, we would, you know, a lot of people just stopped by over there, you know, and then, uh, and they would have, uh, you know, somebody would always have something going on. We had toga parties, I remember. And I remember going to the movies one night, running into Vince and Linda and having a nice chat with them. And it was just kind of, uh, you know, as I've told people before, is you know, it was Camelot. We all, we lived in this kingdom. And that's the thing about when you live in Camelot, you have a king. Uh, <laughs> Vince was it. Uh, and, and sometimes that was a little too close for comfort because, uh, um, you know, if you had stuff, uh, other things going on, but if you got invited to an event, you, you had to go, you know, you had to be there, but it was a really, it was a fun time and just a lot, a lot, a lot of great people that, uh, I had the chance to work with back then. And then you would see on the road when we go on these tapings uh, and a lot of you don't didn't know this, but you know, some of those, uh, and you would see them, they would come out whenever there was a big you know, fight at ringside and they'd send out the officials. They'd send everybody out and you'd see Chief J. Strongbow, who was uh, one of the agents and Larry Guria. I mean, not Larry, uh, um, Tony Guria and uh, Blackjack, uh, you know, was there. And, and uh, you know, just all these guys that uh, were legends in the ring who Vince kept on and, and, and gave them a job really for them to be able to remain in the business, make a living because a lot of them had come up during a time when they didn't make a, a fortune and these guys didn't have, you know, retirement accounts. So they had to keep working. And, uh, you know, uh, like I said, you know, Jack Lanza and uh, Pedro Morales worked and he did uh, play by play, you know. And uh, so it was uh, Rene Goulet. I could just go on and on. And, and that was another thing that you would see is a lot of these guys working backstage, which was pretty awesome. But, you know, now you go to these events and they're, God, there must, it's a, it's a city of tractor trailers for these events. Well, back then, you know, there was maybe, I don't know, three or four people didn't have buses, you know, they didn't have their own, they weren't like these rock star buses that the, you know, guys would have that they could hang out in. They had a locker room and, uh, you know, very few exceptions would have their own little curtained off area that they would be able to have as their very own. But, uh, you know, Things change. That's the way it happens. The the company, um, to its credit and uh, to credit for a lot of people. I mean, they've employed thousands and thousands of people since then, and it's uh, it's just amazing to think about what it's become. I mean, it was big then, but my God, now it's it is absolutely worldwide, and uh, all the different things they do. House shows aren't aren't the uh, the main income anymore. <laughs> Uh, and of course, the WWE Network, which allows us to go back and look at these things that you know these shows that we're seeing. So it was uh, it was a phenomenal time. I mean, really, it was just uh, uh, to be able to be a part of that was was pretty great. And um, you know, uh, it's great to look back at these because it brings back a lot of memories and how uh, they were you know taking these steps to become what they are today. But I remember looking at some of the very, very early events that they did, like the house events they did in one of the first pay-per-views and just how they were still figuring it out on how to do it. 
and everything from lighting the arenas and uh, the kind of uh, the backgrounds that they used and how we did backstage interviews and the even the camera angles. I remember watching you know a couple of the early pay-per-views and how they would miss things because it just wasn't how you know the, the camera positions weren't plotted out right. And they just got better and better and better to the point where, and I'm not just uh, blowing smoke here, that uh, I thought that those productions were better than what a network could have done. I mean, they had everything and they, and they did it, you know, they, uh, whatever the piece of equipment that they had out there that, uh, you know, that was, you know, the network was using, or there was some, you know, they'd go to a trade show like, you know, NAB or something and find, see some new equipment that you could use through effects or CGs or, you know, they got it and they implemented it. And, uh, if they didn't know how to work it, you know, Kevin Dunn would figure it out and he was really creative for coming up with new ways to use it. Uh, so, uh, really you look at the, the, uh, the beginnings of it. It's fascinating to me because, uh, I was there and then to see what it's become is, is just incredible. All righty. I, uh, really, really like that, uh, uh, network, a classic episode. I hope you did as well. We'll do more superstars in the future. I hope they release more of them. I'd love to see them from different years that we could, you know, maybe even early on uh, some of those uh, early ones. And then of course, uh, I wonder if wrestling challenges ever going to come out then we can enjoy Bobby and, and gorilla. But, uh, in the meantime, we'll, we'll keep doing these every week as long as you uh, keep enjoying them. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. Remember we got a lot going on out there. Uh, check out our Patreon membership. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. And, uh, of course, we, uh, for as little as $4.99 a month, you can get uh, all of the episodes, everything that we released during the week early. Uh, the Network Classics, which uh, drop on Mondays at 6 a.m. And, and then, of course, uh, the original episodes of Primetime with Sean Mooney on Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And then, of course, the Vault um, episodes on Saturdays. But remember, if you are a Patreon member, you get all of that stuff early. It drops a few days before anybody gets it, and they're ad-free. And there's other perks that come with that Patreon if uh, membership. If you want to uh, step it up and become a Mooney or a Legion of Who member, there's lots of perks that go with it as well. Check it out. Just go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. And um, also, our, we've got uh, our, uh, our uh, episodes, I mean, our episodes, our T-shirts, the Primetime with Sean Mooney uh, T-shirts collection. All you have to do is go to mooneytees.com. And uh, hoping to have a new one out soon uh, after this past week. Uh, I don't know if you, you were able to tune in, but uh, <clears throat> I had an interview with, uh, with Ian Mooney. Um, I, I, God, I should apologize for that episode. I was uh, not, didn't go as well or <laughs> didn't go uh, very well uh, as, as I don't know what I expected. But of course, uh, Ian didn't disappoint. And uh, a lot of people really, really found it uh, fun and interesting and uh, unique and all that, whatever. Uh, so I hope you uh, listen to it, uh, the episode Primetime with Sean Mooney with, with Ian Mooney, because there will not be another one. I'm not putting myself through that again. That was uh, uh, ridiculous enough. But uh, he uh, he had a good idea. Maybe I'm going to maybe I'll put out a, a we'll get a T-shirt out there. I think we're working on it. And it says uh, that has on it. Ian Mooney lives. And <laughs> I don't know. You know now that I have a, a couple of days to reflect on it. It wasn't. Aw- well, it wasn't. Yeah. 
So uh, check it out. But um, uh, we always have more new stuff coming. Uh, so, uh, you know, check it all out. And uh, like I said, we've got more Network Classics coming your way. Some new things coming up. I just can't announce it all yet because uh, K-Fed's in my soul. But uh, when I can do that, I will. But we got some... Uh, we got some great things uh, coming up in the future that I think you're really going to enjoy. And uh, as soon as I can let you know about them, you know I will. And you'll be the first to know. That's right. You will be the first to know. Okay? All right. Thanks for tuning in to uh, PTSM Network Classics. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.